Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Schmitz. Today, I am interviewing my husband and, well, co-host most of the time, (laughs) about fatherhood. He's the father of our five children, and I just really think this topic is super important, and this isn't going to be necessarily a really deep, heavy episode. It'll be pretty lighthearted in me asking him questions about different things I see him do as a father in our home. And what is the intention behind that or what inspired it or what it looks like? Because he does a lot of really neat things. And I'm hoping it will maybe help your family have some new ideas, things to try to build those relationships from father to child. All right. How did you feel, first of all, when I said I want to do an episode on fatherhood? (laughs) I was nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess part of me feels like I don't really know a whole lot about it yet and i'm figuring things out all the time uh feel very much not like an expert but that was kind of the whole inspiration behind the podcast was to share what we learned Mm -hmm. in hopes that people can take what fits and discard the rest and hopefully help some people so uh i guess this is just more of that and uh (laughs) i just gotta gotta get over it but I, i do feel like uh, when it comes to the topic of fatherhood specifically, I notice all my shortcomings and the times that I mess up. And so it's easy for me to feel like I'm not the person to be talking about this. Right. And I think everyone who has a even an iota of humility in their heart would say the same about any topic that people would ask him about. And I love the fact that along the journey, as we're continually learning and growing, we can still have these conversations because though none of us are perfect and sure we fail enough, but no one is benefited by focusing on our failures or how we don't measure up. And there is a lot of value to seeing what is working to say, let's keep doing that. (laughs) (laughs) True. Something's working. Because isn't it just debilitating when we focus on the negative? Yep. All right. So to start us off, obviously you work from home, right? I do. (laughs) (laughs) I try. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, not the easiest for a family of seven, especially uh, we homeschool our children. Mm -hmm. So I stay home with them. I don't even work anymore because... My work stuff was shut down with COVID things. With photography, I was doing corporate work. So we're all home a lot. And that can get really tricky. That we are. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Especially when you record a lot. But yep. I do see you taking small breaks throughout the day. And a lot of the times you snag a child and you spend time with them in that few minute break you have. What are some of those things that you do and what makes you want to do that? with your breaks? Uh, I think it started by them snagging me. True. That is true. Um, (laughs) And I realized that when I got interrupted, there's only so much you can do about the the interruption. Um, One of the the books that I've read that has helped with this and the author has since become a friend of mine is the the book Hyperfocus by Chris Bailey. And he uh, talks about how there are interruptions that you could have prevented. And those are the ones you learn lessons from and you try to create systems that 
prevent stuff from happening again. Uh, but then there are the interruptions that are just going to happen and they happened. So there's no point getting upset about it. And at that point, what are you going to do? Is it a distraction because it's something that you don't want to do? Or is it actually something that is fun and enjoyable? And I realized that when I got interrupted by one of my kids, I'm already interrupted at that point. There's no sense getting upset about it. So how do I make the most of the fact that I was interrupted? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I can go back and I can, you know, like I've got the little door hanger it says one side says, please come in. Basically, the other side says, stay out. <laughs> <laughs> so I can give cues like that, like don't interrupt me right now. But. Uh, when I get interrupted, if I'm not in a meeting or something like that, I found that it was better just to roll with it. And mm -hmm. so go play ping pong or play a game of horse outside. Those are the big ones that we do. Typically ping pong, foosball, or go shoot hoops for a few minutes. And uh, it was really just an, an effort to take advantage of the little moments throughout the day mm -hmm. since we're all here together that... uh I, I couldn't do if I wasn't here, but I also found that those are the the little things that really leave a, a mark. I remember one time specifically, we were taking kids to piano lessons and we left a few minutes early so we could stop at a park on the way there mm -hmm. and played basketball, right? And they talked about that years afterwards. <laughs> so when we got the basketball hoop here, I'm like, we can do that all the time now. Yeah. You know, so... Just trying to redeem the time, even if that time is only a couple of minutes, as opposed to, you know, next week or next month or this summer, that's when we'll have a lot of time and then we can do something big together. Yeah, I really like that. And I, I was noticing that my middle child, like he's the middle of the middle of five, right? <laughs> and as long as he's just really quiet and kind of withdrawn, and I, I was just like, oh, I don't like that. What's going on with him? And I... While I was praying for him and I believe God inspired me to just, hey, each day just go out and shoot hoops with him. And that little thing that maybe was 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes, he just brightened right up throughout the mm -hmm. day. He just needed a little extra attention. So it, it's not anything that's super complicated or time consuming, but we can never get time back. And those little investments are so valuable. So I will skip to this next question down the down the itinerary here because what you just <laughs> answered, I think we'll probably answer this next one pretty easily. But if you were given the opportunity to have short moments throughout the week with your children or have an entire week off of work with them, which would you prefer and why? Uh, I would prefer the regular short moments because the the week off, as you frame that question, that sounds great. But how often is that going to happen? Mm -hmm. And uh, as we learned with all the COVID shutdown stuff, that you can have perfect plans mm -hmm. and somebody gets sick and they all change. Yeah. Uh, everything now has to conform around something you can't control. And so that just that approach just seems really stressful to me. Mm -hmm. Everything has to fall perfectly into place in order for that to really produce the the fruit that you want it to. And uh, I would rather just 
take advantage of whatever small moments I can find on a regular basis. Uh, I I believe that that kind of ties into the whole topic of like habits and routines. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon Sinek talked about consistency versus intensity. And intensity is like going to the dentist and ha- having a professional cleaning. But consistency is brushing your teeth every day. <laughs> Please. And uh, you're not going to, you can't just live by intensity every once in a while. Uh, if you do that, you won't have any teeth left in your head. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, the consistency that really moves the needle in the, the long run. Mm-hmm. And so figuring out what I can do consistently and just starting where I am with what I have, uh, I feel like that's the, the better approach. I would 110% agree with that. If you hope to have like some big vacation once a year, I would argue that those memories may not be as strong as just doing things regularly. Like, oh, I remember my dad, he worked from home, but you know, when he had time off, he'd just go shoot hoops with me. And what that does to them is your actions speak so loudly that work is not more important than they are. Mm-hmm. And I believe for men, that is a, a hurdle. That yep. is a decision that needs to be made. Not that you don't need to do the work, but when given those opportunities to drive the stake in the ground that they are more valuable than work, that is huge. Mm-hmm. Because as men, you know, I'm just speaking from the outside, obviously. <laughs> uh, but it, I believe it's a big struggle for men to put work on way higher of a pedestal than it needs to be. And I have, I don't feel the weightiness of that. Mm-hmm. You know, we well, have a two parent home and my husband works and provides for us. And I, the money I make from the things, little things I do, it's not really enough to make a dent. It's not just men, but I think that there is something to that, like the standard question, if you were to, if we were to go out to eat with another couple that we just met and I'm sitting on one side next to the, the, the other dad, the, the natural question, whether I ask it or he asks it is what do you do? Yeah. It's tied mm-hmm. to your occupation. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that's hard to break. And, uh, I think you, you kind of need to, um, but that's why I think you can gravitate towards that. It's so closely tied to it can become so closely tied to your identity that that becomes the natural thing to do. And all the family stuff like falls to the wayside. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have to switch your perspective in order to prioritize that stuff. And obviously you can't do it all the time. If you're constantly being interrupted, if you're constantly stepping out of meetings to <laughs> go play foosball, whatever, like you're not going to have a job. <laughs> yeah. There's but, a balance. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's just being intentional with the time that you have. And that's why I say start where you are with what you have. Like, it would be great if I could just be with my family all day, every day. Uh, I think I would probably probably go go crazy. No offense. Like, I would need something to do besides that. I do that. understand. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I say that because that is the gold standard that your mind tries to make mm-hmm. you live up to. Mm-hmm. And tell you that, well, you're not doing enough. You're not spending enough time. You're not investing enough. And that is 
dangerous because if you start comparing yourself to that, then you're never going to measure up. And so you're like, well, why, why would I even try? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to not even think about that. So I don't feel like I'm disappointing people, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to, to be that way. Yeah. You know, even if all of our bills were taken care of and we were financially independent, I didn't have to work for a living. I think that's just the way we, that men are wired is they, they need to do something, they need yeah. to build something, they need yeah, to make something. I agree. Um, so that's, uh, that's always going to be there. But uh, just don't recognize that what is going to, when you, when you try to compartmentalize things and you got work versus life, that's the popular approach, work-life balance, right? Which I think is a, a myth. Each one of those competing forces is competing for 100% of your attention Mm -hmm. especially when you work remote you can always check slack you can always check your email you can always have another project to work on Mm -hmm. and when you work from home like it's easy to slip into that and so constantly in your mind you're going back and forth between these things you gotta do what you can to set up the the barriers and really the only only two things you have to do a little bit of a tangent here i guess but like (laughs) what you're doing right now and everything else yeah (laughs) whatever task management systems or project management systems or organizational systems you need in order to help you just disconnect from all the voices in your head that are saying, hey, think about me right now. And you can mm. just be with whatever it is that you're doing. That's that's the right approach. No, I 110% agree with that. Now, from my perspective, being that I um, we homeschool the kids and I'm home and I take care of the household inside and out, work on projects... I have the same struggle, but uh, it's work, but it's like, when do I, do I stop when they interrupt me and I, do I stop doing all the household tasks, the, the cleaning, the laundry, the cooking, the weeding, the projects, <laughs> the organizing, all of that, or even other tasks that I have, do I really intentionally take those opportunities, those interruptions to give them the attention that they need. And obviously there's a balance like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. but I'm not always real great at stopping. And sometimes I just get frustrated. Like I need to get this done. Yeah. (laughs) Go play with your siblings. (laughs) You got four siblings to play with. But there is some truth to that. You need to know what is the right thing to do at the right time. And it's not always the right, right thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think though that the 10, like, if not now, when? Yeah. So don't just say, I'm not going to do this. We'll figure mm-hmm. it out later because that's the, the whole basis behind that song, The Cat's in the Cradle, right? Is like, I'll do that tomorrow. And then eventually you run out of Tomorrow's, tomorrow. Yeah. So just figure out how and when to to do it if it really is important. If it's not important, then you decide it's not important. And we decided taking these little breaks, that's important. Yeah. You know, we, we bought group... Christmas gifts the last several years because we want to facilitate these like random encounters. You know, we, we have kind of designed our or created our environment in order to facilitate this stuff mm-hmm. in the right spaces at the right times. You know, there yeah. are other systems like the hue light at the top of the stairs that I turn red when I'm recording. So don't, don't come bother me right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. But we want to just embrace that and, and have fun with yeah. that. So like the, 
had a little trophy made. I think we mentioned this before on the yeah. podcast. The the king of the knobs, right? <laughs> the little foosball guy. Whoever's won the last foosball game gets the trophy. Yeah, we basically have a, a challenge ladder, right? <laughs> whoever is a, whoever is the current champion has the the trophy, which I have at the moment, but Toby has it frequently. <laughs> <laughs> this, these are the things that they're going to remember. I hope so. I I believe they will. I was thinking about what do I remember? And it wasn't any like trips or anything we did. Not that we did a lot because we couldn't afford much of anything when I was growing up. But it was all the little things we did and the little traditions my mom had. Like Valentine's Day, she would make us homemade pizzas and heart shapes. Like she did that every year. And all these little things that we would do together and playing playing. Uh, card games and board games until we'd get so silly and crazy she'd be like okay well i'm gonna step out now you guys can (laughs) but sounds familiar (laughs) right (laughs) now i'm on the other end of that i'm reaping what i sowed all those years ago (laughs) (laughs) thanks a lot (laughs) oh yeah that's that's really good stuff (laughs) my experience was a little bit different i think like uh we did go on on trips and and do things like one trip that I remember was uh, in 1996 when the Olympics were in Atlanta, my family went and that was cool. Uh, It was a fun trip. I remember a lot of details about that, but honestly, just personally, like I would rather have the type of memories that you were talking about. Yeah. So maybe that's just personal preference. Maybe some people like the big, trip to the national park or whatever like that's the thing that they really are going to remember but yeah uh, i don't know i guess my own the way i'm wired i would i would prefer the the memories of the the things that we did together not the places that we went or the the projects that we accomplished sort mm-hmm. of a thing it's the whole idea behind that generations wall that you you set up yeah we <laughs> have all these pictures of these people and it, mm-hmm. it the picture itself is kind of irrelevant doesn't matter what is in the picture or yeah. what's happening or where they are. It's just you see the person yeah. and then you remember all the experiences you had with mm-hmm. that person. Yeah. And that's the cool part for me. Yeah. And I would agree. And with that wall, I need to, I want to add more to it. Um, but I've been able to share just different family stories. And I've noticed when we've had people over and they've been like, oh, that that's that wall's really neat. And the kids will start telling the stories that I've told them to the guests that have come to our house, which is really special. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that I feel like makes an impact because we want to pass on the legacy of our family members that have since passed, like some of these stories, like they haven't actually met these great grandparents. Yeah. And it's really special that there's like one distinct story that we can share that they'll remember. That's part of their legacy. That's part of who they are. Mm-hmm. Now, another practice that we have, which is one of my favorites, <laughs> is man school. We've mentioned this before, but I did want to ask the question of how did you find this curriculum? And could you walk us through what this looks <laughs> like on a given Wednesday at 4 p.m.? <laughs> sure. Well, uh, I was at a, a conference that our church goes to every year prior to COVID. And, um, actually I guess it was 2020, uh, we were at the conference and I remember being out to eat with some of the guys from our church and them getting emails as we're sitting there getting breakfast about how, when we got back on, on Monday, all the schools were going to be shut down. 
And at that point, no one knew what really what was going on. So it's like, wow, this is this is wild. And that was the year that Dr. Barkley was speaking there, and he had put together this "What Is a Man of God" curriculum, and it's intended more so for like a men's ministry for a church. <laughs> but there are a bunch of like outlines with scripture verses, and then you read the, the intended. You read the verses together, and then you fill in the blanks. And I think it's intent, intended that every man who is going through the curriculum has their own curriculum and you're filling this out and you're talking about stuff together. So I bought that when we were down there and I didn't even really have a specific use case for it in mind. I just knew that I should buy this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did. Uh, and then when uh, everything got, I remember we came back on a Saturday, Sunday we had church and I'm like, this is the last time we're going to do this for a while. you know. And so after that, we started doing virtual stuff for, for quite a while. And uh, in the middle of all that, got the idea, like, I could do this with our boys. Mm-hmm. Um, we were up at the the chateau for the first one. <laughs> and um, we, you know, at that point, everything is, is shut down and we're spending a ton of time together. And mm-hmm. I remember at the very beginning of that, getting everybody together and saying, okay, so it looks like we're about to be together for a long time. <laughs> Uh, we don't know if this is like a couple of weeks, couple months, meeting. whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so we can either be really annoyed by this and it's going to suck or we can just embrace it and have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. So we took mm-hmm. the latter and I think it was overall a, a very positive thing. That was also the thing that kind of was the catalyst for getting the intentional family podcast rolling is recognizing that all the, all these people now have to be at home together all the time and you're going to have to confront the reality of what's really there. You can't mm-hmm. hide behind the busyness anymore. Yep. So maybe there's some stuff you can do to, to help with that. Mm-hmm. So anyways, in the middle of all that, got the idea like I could maybe kind of, I don't want to say water it down. I don't want to say dumb it down, but simplify it simplify, basically. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going through it and I'm like assigning people to read different verses. And then, so, and then we would try to fill in the blanks together. And just recognizing specific points where I would need to, do you know what that means? You know, mm-hmm. explain a little bit further. And we started doing it every week <laughs> and going through a whole lesson. There's 52 lessons and, and there's an answer key in the back. At the beginning, they it's cute. They're all bringing their notebooks and their week <laughs> one. And they're writing down every single answer. Oh my gosh. You know? <laughs> so cute. Yeah. But uh, now we, we've kept at it and... Uh, don't have an hour a week to do it anymore, but we can still squeeze it in on Wednesdays before we mm-hmm. go to Wednesday night church. And so we gather together and we do a 15, 20 minute Bible study together. We call it man school. And we just go through at least one page of a lesson. So it takes a little bit longer. We've gone through the whole thing already. So we're repeating some lessons at this point, but it doesn't get old because every time you read these verses, you see mm-hmm. new stuff you didn't see before. Mm-hmm. Um, we do this sword drill sort of a thing. So I'll say the verse and then everyone looks for it quick and tries to find it. And I make sure everyone gets a chance to to read. At the end, I start with the youngest, work our way up. What did you get out of it? Mm-hmm. And then uh, put our hands in the middle. One, two, three, schmitzies. That's great. <laughs> My favorite is the question at the end because it forces them to articulate ownership of what they heard. So even our youngest son, Malachi, who's eight, has something to say. And usually the thing that he says that week, he can retell that to me later that night and he'll remember it and it sticks with him. 
and I've even heard him reference things like, oh, oh, I can't do that. That's, a man of God doesn't do that. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very grateful to have a husband that will take the time and will take the leadership to do that because I, he is a man of God, so he can teach them how to be men of God. <laughs> like, I am a woman of God, so it's a lot better for him to teach them that part of it. Yeah. Well, to be honest, it's not, I, I feel like what I do with that is not anything special. I'm not coming up with the lessons. No, it and doesn't matter. Not, not but a, you're taking the time to do it with them. True. But even that, it's not a lot of time, 15 minutes a week. That's not, not hard. Like, yeah. yeah. It's just, again, starting where you are with what you have. Yeah, like you, absolutely. you could say, oh, well, I want to, I want to give my kids a spiritual foundation and Maybe in your mind you're thinking there's a big project associated with that, a week-long trip, you know, where you're – that's not how it's done. It's no. the the little things that you do consistently that makes the the difference. And so 15 minutes, like, I don't care how busy I am. I, I can find 15 minutes in a week yep, absolutely. to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just prioritize that stuff. And then everything else, especially the, the work stuff, I heard somebody say one time, I think it was – the one thing by Jay Papasan and Gary Keller, they talk about the one thing is really what is the one thing that by doing it makes everything else easier or unnecessary. That's the, yeah. the clarifying question. Mm-hmm. The idea behind it is being mindful. This is the right thing for right now. And they talk about how you have all these balls that you're you're juggling, mm-hmm. different areas of your life, and uh, you're catching one doing something with it and then you're tossing it back up and that's what juggling is you're constantly like grabbing one ball and then tossing it you know and if if it gets to the point where there's too much to juggle you can't do you can't keep all the balls in the air they they say in that book business books productivity type book the all those balls the life relationships significant other friends kids whatever those are all glass don't drop those but the work one is rubber and you should feel free to chuck that one at any time. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. But that's the exact opposite. The, the point is that's a, the exact opposite of how most people approach it. Yeah. It's like, well, everything has to go around work. Does it? You know, that would be my tip, action item, whatever, for anybody listening to this would be uh, to push strategically the boundaries that you think you can't cross with work. And that doesn't mean you just don't show up for stuff, but you maybe assume a, a calendar event shows up on your, your, uh, shows up on your calendar. This meeting you have to go to instead of just accepting it and be like, Oh man, well, I was going to do this other thing, but I guess I got to go to this meeting now. Have a conversation be like, you know what? I was going to do this. Can we do the meeting at this other time instead? What's the worst is going to happen. They say no. Exactly. At least you try. Exactly. Yeah. And most people, uh, who have done this sort of thing, actually, they, they anticipate this, well, this is work hours. I think that's changing, especially yeah. people working from I, home. I agree. It, the, the company does not control every minute of your day from nine to five. Yeah. It's expected that you're going to get the work done. Yeah. And so if you're able to get the work done, then they'll give you more flexibility. And yeah. and oftentimes when people have those conversations, actually what happens is the they're managers or their bosses are like, you know, I really respect that you yeah. prioritize that. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we can work around that. No problem. Yeah. I had a similar experience with a school thing that came up like, this is a mandatory thing. And I pushed back and I said, okay, hold up. Like 
I know this project or this thing is, you know, it's important for this year, but I also set the precedent that on this night, our family's not available and we're not putting ourselves above anyone else or putting this on anyone else. But for us, if you need our family, we're not available this night. And I've set this precedent for three years now for this community we're part of for school. And what happened was I had several people come up to me after this and say, okay, so I didn't think this one, this is exactly what one of them said. I I didn't think I could love you anymore. But oh my goodness, when you did that, it gave me license to hold the standard and set a boundary for my family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, well, I was just doing what was right for us, like what we knew was the right decision. But yep. we, when we do what's right, we empower and enable others to do what is right. Yep. Yep, exactly. And a lot of this like boundary placement, we recognized with COVID that that was an opportunity to reset all of the boundaries. Right. We actually, for the Focus podcast, did an episode called The Big Reset because <laughs> I talked to David <laughs> about this. He's like, that would be a good good podcast title. Yeah. Um, but just because things are, quote unquote, getting back to normal doesn't mean that you can't move the boundaries. Mm-hmm. No one's going to give you permission to do it. You just got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you don't have to be a jerk about it. But uh, if you want the opportunity to redefine things, you're going to have to take it. Yeah. No, that's so true. I'm going to have to just pick one or two more. These are so good. <laughs> Might have to do a part two at some point. <laughs> Let's do the the handshake one. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> So another little favorite thing that my all my boys in my family do is we have prayer before church services where the whole congregation gathers and we pray for the service. And when that portion is done, it's just 10 to 15 minutes. Each of the boys, each of our four boys have a secret handshake with their daddy. And at the <laughs> end, they all line up and they do their own little secret handshake with them. How did this start? Again, this is not because I am smart, I saw a video of a teacher in a inner city classroom who was teaching at-risk kids. And as the kids would come into the classroom, he had a secret handshake for each one of the the kids. (laughs) And I was like, that's super cool. (laughs) And uh, so I, I stole that and applied it to the, the, the prayer ritual routine at, uh, at church. Because I wanted prayer to be viewed as not an obligation. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be something that was fun and we could celebrate that we did it. Yeah. So we started doing it. And as the kids have gotten older, I mean, we've been doing it for a long time now. Yeah. Because I can remember specifically adding Jonathan's and Malachi's handshakes. (laughs) And now whenever Adelaide joins us for prayer, she tries to make up one at the end too. She'll need to get one at some point when she's out there more. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's something that's just very sweet. And like you said, we're not trying to put a heavy on, like, we're going to pray now and be super serious and religious. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just another part of our life. And that little handshake, it almost like seals this special time. Yep. Well, I mean, the whole purpose behind church for us is not an obligation. Correct. Uh, one of the 
foundational scriptures for our approach to church is I think Nehemiah eight ten talks about the joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes. And so when we go to church, we're not doing it to check a box nope. and we're not doing it just to get something either. A lot of times we're doing it because we want to participate in the community and we mm-hmm. want to help somebody else. Yes. And when you fill somebody else's bucket, that's when yours gets refilled. Yeah. Every so, time. <laughs> yeah. So it just seemed like the natural place to do that sort of thing because that's in alignment with our our goals. Yeah. It's so true. And our children actually ask us to go to church, even Natalie today, like 18 times. So we get to go tomorrow or today? (laughs) When do we get to go? And they have a lot of fun there. And our church is like, uh, it's a family. And and it's very, it's special. And they have a ton of fun there. But they also learn and it's not taken lightly either. Yeah. And on the whole topic of fathers, uh, there is a verse which... The reference escapes me at the moment, but Paul says, you have many teachers, but you have only one father. Oh, you have it in the notes there. I do. Look at that. <laughs> uh, and I am thankful for our pastor because he takes his responsibility seriously and he mm-hmm. is a, a father. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference between an instructor and a father? Well, I've been meditating on this for a while and I believe uh, an instructor is involved they can come in and they can teach you something, but a father is committed. Mm-hmm. And the difference there is when things aren't going well, the instructor's not going to be there, but the father is. They're mm-hmm. in it through thick and thin. Yeah. And that definitely describes our pastors and our, our leaders. They have been there for us when we have been through some of the, the hardest stuff in, in our life. Um, and so I very much consider our pastor a a father figure in my life. And so I guess uh, the short version of this is um, you don't need to have a biological father. Mm-hmm. You can find someone who is willing to assume the mantle of a father for you. And then the the trick is to submit to them. And even if you don't understand it, <laughs> trust that they are, uh, they are committed to seeing you succeed and they're trying to help you and when they're pointing stuff out, it's not always fun. I mean, a father has to discipline, has to correct. Mm-hmm. But the point is not to force you to fall in line. It's to help you go to a, a higher level and be more successful. So uh, likewise, um, you can be a father to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be a biological relationship. Um, I remember there was a kid in our youth group who didn't have a great family situation at, at home. And so he graduated high school. They weren't going to do anything. We threw him a graduation party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can invite whoever you want. Yeah. No, we'll provide the food. We'll have it at our house. house. Backyard. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I would just encourage people who are listening to this to look for those opportunities because the, the more that you give, the more that you will get. It's not mm-hmm. from the same source, but that seems to be the order of things. If you are sitting there thinking, I wish someone would do that for me, then go mm-hmm. do it for somebody else Absolutely. and watch it yep. happen. <laughs> That's so true. And yes, I would uh, reiterate that our, our pastor is a great example of a father. He never gives up on people and that is humongously impactful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think about the prodigal son 
what makes him an incredible, the dad of the prodigal son in the Bible, in that story, what makes him an incredible father? Well, when the prodigal son came to his senses and like, I am eating the slop of pigs, and he wakes up and says, I could go back and be a servant for, in my dad's household and not live like this. I could at least make a wage like the servants. He goes back and his dad welcomes him home as a son, not as a servant. Mm-hmm. And I see that heart in you. And what really inspired me to want to do this interview today is that I am super grateful and I'm not going to cry. Well, try not to anyway, <laughs> but I am extremely grateful for you. And I see, I grew up without a father. Like he died, my mm-hmm. dad died suddenly when I was six years old in a car accident. And thankfully, a year later, someone introduced me to Jesus. And so I've always had a heavenly father. And so knowing that, like my kids, we were cultivating a relationship with Jesus, but they also have an earthly father who is training and leading them. Mm-hmm. And the verse that comes to mind as I think about you and how I'm so grateful and how I want to honor you as the father of our children is that James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from God. <laughs> and so ultimately, I'm thankful to God for providing mm. you as my husband and as the father of our children. And one of the things I love and appreciate about you the most is that you're constantly working on improving and you're constantly like, you're, you're okay being corrected and going through the hard things because you come out better on the other side and you just have such a big vision and purpose. And I appreciate that you are always inspiring me and inspiring our family and inspiring so many other people to live to their best potential, to find their life's purpose and mission and live it out no matter what that takes. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for those (laughs) lovely words. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the, my approach, like what I would hope to leave to my kids and really what I hope to instill in everybody who would look to me for any sort of advice is to keep going and to keep growing. Yeah. To never, never be complacent be content but not complacent mm-hmm. um, always ask what's next and be willing to try new new things yeah that's awesome thank you for taking the time to be interviewed today <laughs> <laughs> for sure listeners i really hope that you were encouraged by hearing some of these stories and hearing his answers to a lot of these questions he had a gr- a lot of great insight to share and uh Just use it as a springboard to maybe try something new or maybe as a springboard to honor someone in your life that's been a father. Mm, Thank you for joining us. We can be found at intentionalfamily.fm. Until next time, join us in living life intentionally. Intentionally.